You're listening to Orange County's only station with critical business information, Critical Mass, with your host, Rick Franzi. Welcome to today's episode of Critical Mass Radio Show. I am your host, Rick Franzi. This business talk show airs live on Tuesdays at 4 p.m. Exclusive on octalkradio.net. If you're listening to this show in the future as a podcast, we'd encourage you to consider listening to the program live during our broadcast time. This show is brought to you by Succession Strategies, Commerce National Bank, and Smart Business Magazine. This goal for this show is to help you, our listening audience, make better decisions. If you'd like to join the conversation today because you're listening to the program live, find the community chat room section of octalkradio.net website. Log in with your channel, post your thoughts and questions. That'll bring you right to our producer, Paul Roberts. He can bring your thoughts and ideas to me, just on the other side of the glass here in the studio. Possibly I can work them into one of our two interviews that I have planned for today. I say two interviews, but I actually will have three guests on the program today. If you're, call, if you're listening for my interview with Fred Helms, Senior Vice President of U.S. Bank, then just hold on because we'll be getting with Fred in about 25 minutes. But before that, I wanted to interview these two gentlemen when this book came to my attention. The book is Fahim Speaks. And Fahim Speaks is a gold medal winner for biography from the Military Writer Society of America. This inspiring narrative chronicles the compelling journey of Fahim Fazli, born in Afghan, Kabul, Afghanistan. Uh, Fahim saw his country and his family split apart, and this story chronicles that journey as told by military historian Lieutenant Colonel Michael Moffat. So it's great pleasure for me to welcome to this segment, Fahim Fazli and Lieutenant Colonel Michael Moffat the Critical Mass Radio Show. Hello, gentlemen. Welcome to the program. Hi, Rick. This is uh, Mike Moffitt. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. Thank this is Fahim Fazli. Thank you for inviting us. Okay. And so we have two gentlemen on the line, and I just want to start by asking Fahim, if you could tell the audience a little bit about your path and the beginning of journey to the out of Afghanistan would appreciate it. Uh, I didn't hear the whole question, but uh, it's getting off, sir. Hello? Could you explain to us how you got from Afghanistan to the United States? Uh, 1979, when the Russians invaded Afghanistan, my parents uh, made a decision to escape Afghanistan, but my mom, my two and a brother made a decision to escape Afghanistan. My dad wouldn't allow me or my other brother to leave with my brother, with my mother. And five years later, my dad made a decision to escape Afghanistan. It took us seven days, seven nights to walk all these Indicush mountains. Uh, we arrived in Pakistan. Pakistan, uh, the first things I saw at refugee camps were like almost 5,000 I mean, five million uh, refugees that was remind me was the Russian was uh, showing us all those propaganda videos 
from uh, East uh, Germany or West Germany or all those Jewish was on uh, the refugee camp. That was uh, very harsh for me to sob the Afghans and through all those things as well. And we came to uh, U.S. Embassy. Uh, we applied for a refugee. Uh, thanks to Ronald Reagan, uh, he's accepted us as a refugee for the United States. Lieutenant Colonel Michael Moffat, as a historian for the Marines, I wonder if you could express to the audience what caught your interest and caused you to write this book about Fahim's life? Sure, Rick. Uh, I was in Afghanistan in 2010 uh, as a lieutenant colonel reserve uh, infantry officer, but I was working as a historian traveling from outpost to outpost, interviewing Marines and documenting their stories. And I, I came to Delaram, Afghanistan, in uh, March of 2010, and I was at an event with uh, the battalion commander for 3rd Battalion, 4th Marines, and uh, Asadullah Hakdos, who was the district governor, an event there. And, and I uh, saw Fahim doing interpreting, translating uh, very effectively, and one of the other Marines mentioned that this man, uh, Fahim, was a Hollywood actor. So uh, that got my attention. I, I thought, what is a Hollywood actor doing in uh, in this remote settlement in Helmand Province, Afghanistan? And I uh, eventually talked to Fahim and and learned about his extraordinary journey. Uh, he's already talked about it a little bit, from uh, Afghanistan to Pakistan to Virginia to California, and he hung in there and eventually uh, became an extra and eventually a Screen Actors Guild uh, actor. And uh, anyway, it, it, we turned it into an adventure story, love story, Hollywood story, and, and war story, and it's uh, it's quite a journey. Just recently, you have been honored with, as I said in the open, the gold medal winner for biography from the Military Writers Society of America. Uh, Lieutenant Colonel, can you explain what that means relative to um, recognition by your peers and recognition by this, the service men and women across the country, and if not around the world? Yeah, sure, Rick. Uh, it was a thrill. Uh, we'd submitted our book, uh, which came out earlier this year, to some reviewers at the MWSA, Military Writers Society of America. And the uh, the man who did the review uh, apparently liked it so much he nominated it for uh, top biography. It was one of six books nominated in that genre, in that category. And I did get, get to Dayton for uh, September 29th. Fahim was not able to be there. And... Uh, was thrilled they you know they is like the uh well not quite as big as the oscars but they open the envelope and the winner is uh fahim speaks uh so we uh got the uh the gold medals one for fahim and one for myself as co-authors and that uh is a wonderful tribute from these wonderful uh writers uh you know the ones who are part of the military writers society and that recognition is, has been just uh, fabulous. We've been I've been on radio stations, including uh, this one tonight, just talking about the project, and uh, it was just a thrill to get that recognition from my peer, from our peers. We're going to take our first commercial break, but when we come back, Fahim, I would like you to explain to our audience your decision to return to Afghanistan and work with the Marines as um, a translator and also helping them um, connect with uh, Afghans in, in, within various provinces. Ladies and gentlemen, when we come back, we're going to hear more from Fahim and Lieutenant Colonel Michael Moffat. But first, we're going to take a short time out to spend a little bit of time with these value sponsors. 
Can we talk about your family business? You know, that thing you put your whole life's blood, sweat, and tears into? Well, what happens when you retire or try and pass that business on to your children? At Succession Strategies, we can help you find the answers. We'll guide you through the unsettling process of protecting your family legacy and successfully passing your business on to the next generation, safely and securely, ensuring that it'll both survive and thrive for generations to come. So ask yourself just one question. Can I really afford to wait? Take the first step. Take our complimentary self-assessment at SuccessionStrategies.com or call us at 714-560-9022 to set up a free consultation at your convenience. That's Succession-Strategies.com. If you are an Orange County business executive, this message is for you. Do you ever feel isolated with no place to turn for advice or feedback? Who holds you accountable to your commitments in your company? Where do you find the right resources to help you and your company grow? If you have these questions, then Critical Mass for Business might be the answer for you. Critical Mass for Business is committed to helping you make better decisions. These are groups of peers running businesses just like you, providing a great sounding board to test ideas and concepts, review plan and goals, and present issues and opportunities for discussion. The result is improved strategy, accountability, people, and execution skills. If you are interested in learning more, go to www.criticalmassforbusiness.com and learn more about our executive peer group. Welcome back to Critical Master Radio Show. I am your host, Rick Franzi. I have Fahim Fazli and Lieutenant Colonel Michael Moffat as our guest today. We're discussing the book they co-wrote, Fahim Speaks. And uh, before the break, we said we wanted to hear from you, Fahim, a little bit about your decision to return to Afghanistan. Uh, the the, the reason I made a decision to go to Afghanistan, I was in uh, Iron Man, the movie Iron Man, culture technical advisor, and uh, as a actor as well. And I did a, such a great job on for Charlie Wilson, the movie. I was training 700 Moroccan how to speak, how to, and uh, sitting with Tom Hanks, sitting on the same table to tell, tell him about our culture. And Charlie Wilson, when the movie finished, Charlie Wilson himself, the congressman tell me, Fahim, why don't you go help the real warrior in Afghanistan? Then I come back from Morocco with uh, our crew, with uh, everyone's come back, and I can tell my wife, sweetheart, I've been in this country for 27 years, and my wife is American, and I, was, I tell her I want to pay my dues for this beautiful country because this country gave me a lot. It saved me from the communists when I escaped Afghanistan, and thanks to Ronald Reagan, Give me a shelter for this beautiful country. And a lot of us, they come in in this country, take advantage of this country the wrong way. And I want to pay my dues besides pay tax. I want to go help the Marines. I want to help the Army. I want to help the Navy SEALs. Then I signed a contract with a contractor. Then they first they sent me with Army Fort Bennett, Georgia. I did my five-month training. And after four and five months, the contractor says to him, you, you speak Pashto, which is the Elman province, and Kandahar province, they speak Pashto, which is a my tribe. Why don't you go over there with the Marine, uh, 29 Palm, uh, do your training, go to Afghanistan. Then I ended up in Afghanistan 2009, 
and uh, they arrive. We arrive in uh, Elman Province, which is the most dangerous place. And uh, I was honored to serve my country in this country as well, because Afghanistan is my birth country. This country, my shelter country, which has given me a future, which is I would never deny that. So I appreciate this country, and I appreciate Ronald Reagan to give us a shelter for this country. And I went over there, I grow a beer with a Marine uniform, and Captain Benson asked me for him if he want to shave, because most of the Marines, they're chic and they're clean, the cut. I said, sir, if you allow me, I have a grow beer, I have a long hair, let me blend in, let me go village to village, introduce myself as my tribe. And what we did, we did a great job, sir. And when we were there, no Marine died, no civilian died. We bring electricity, we bring waters, and I'm so honored to call myself American, because I, this country gave me a lot. That's why I went to Afghanistan to help. I wish everyone paid their dues. Of course, they pay tax, but besides that, they do something for this beautiful country. That's an amazing story, and uh, you're to be credited for your willingness to go back into what was probably a very dangerous environment and situation. Uh, Lieutenant Colonel Michael Moffat, I wonder if you could tell us about the process that you went through to write this book and to document Fahim's story. Well, again, uh, Rick, uh, I met Fahim over there, and, and uh, he's, uh, you know, very modest, but uh, he didn't need to go with the Marines. He could have uh, had some less dangerous jobs, but he, uh, at age 43, uh, you know, asked to be with the Marine Infantry Battalion in Helmand Province, and he was so spectacularly effective as uh, a charismatic interpreter bringing together Americans and, and uh, Afghans that the Taliban put a price on his head. So anyway, uh, I learned of that and was so uh, inspired. You know, he, he is what so many Americans yearn to see, someone, an uh, immigrant refugee from an Islamic culture who's not afraid to say he loves America and is willing to go in harm's way. So anyway, we uh, came back. We both came back from Afghanistan, stayed in touch, uh, eventually worked up a little outline and a draft narrative, and we got the attention of uh, Dale Dye, uh, maybe the top military guy in Hollywood, and uh, his wife, Dr. Julia Dye, uh, of Warriors Publishing Group, and they uh, looked at Fahim's story, and they asked a lot of tough questions, and, and uh, eventually uh, we started working with them, and we spent over a year, uh, over a year, uh, working on the uh, every chapter, every piece of it. Uh, Dr. Julia is uh, is a tough taskmaster and knows what she's doing, and and made us work, and we had a couple other people help us with some editing pieces of it, and. Uh, it took over a year, but eventually, after many, many versions of, of many chapters, we uh, we got it done and got it out there uh, earlier this year, and we've just been thrilled with uh, the response of the people who've uh, had a chance to read it, and we're pushing hard to make more people aware of this uh, wonderful story. Fahim, could, could you talk to us about life in Afghanistan before the Soviet invasion? Because when you left, you left as a result of the Soviet invasion. So we're, we're talking about quite some time ago. Can you help uh, the people in our listening audience to appreciate what it was like growing up in your country before this happened? Before 1979, the Afghanistan was a kingdom, which is my mom was wearing a skirt, have a makeup on, everything is going. It was very modern. Doing the king, we can go outside, we're going city to city, different States, there was no violence, no nothing going, no racism between the tribes, Pashtun, Tajik, Uzbek. They, they all love each other. When the commies came in, the commies, the communists came over, they put out some kind of 
a disease, that kind of some kind of cancer between Afghan among them to fight each other, which is uh, we Afghan, we have like seven, eight different tribes. And they put that kind of cancer between us. They start, we start fighting. We start building up uh, troops. I mean, what do you call that? Mujahideen, the freedom fighters, the communists uh, get one party. The Mujahideen get one party. And later on, uh, we found out uh, we kicked the Russian out, and uh, everybody was happy, the communists down. And the Western... Western countries was like Charlie Wilson, the movie, if you watch it, why the Taliban got created. The Taliban, when they left Afghanistan in 1979, by the time the Russian left, they were already 27 years old, 28 years old. They got trained in Pakistan. They, they've been brainwashed. They introduced the, the religion the wrong way for them. That's how this group got created and came, took over Afghanistan. They saw Afghanistan was very weak because the United States left, the Russian left, everybody left, and now is a good opportunity to take over Afghanistan. They took over Afghanistan, they brought a fundamentalist religion, which is Afghanistan wasn't fundamentalist at all. And they brought some kind of boogie, boogeyman, uh, they made man-made, created uh, religion, they created them themselves. That's how these chaos started, and that's why 9-11 started. That's why uh, a bunch of terrorists created all this between border of Afghanistan and Pakistan. That's the best place to hide 22,000 feet high in Kush Mountain. And I was giving advice to all of my uh, government, my government, and said, this is the root of uh, because we, when freedom of defeat Russia, we should stay with them. We should back them up. And the Taliban advanced the weakness of Afghan people. They took over. Fahim, I wonder if you could share with us your current career, because you've talked several times about being a part of films and movies and being a technical advisor. Help us to understand, where did you first decide to be a, a, an actor? Was that in the United States, or was that in Afghanistan, or was that on your journey here? Uh, I became, uh, when I was a little boy in Afghanistan, I, I always wanted to become an actor. I was watching American movie, Charles Burson, an Indian movie, and I come to this country that took, I saw this beautiful country, you can follow your dream, you never give up, make it happen this beautiful country. You can be a president, you can be a lawyer, you can be an actor, and I saw this beautiful country, and I followed my dream, I want to become an actor, and I started as an extra, it took me a long time. When 9/11 happened, it opened more doors for me, and I'm sorry, I'm not, I'm not embarrassed about it. I've got typecast, of course, uh, my look, my knowledge. I was, I've been uh, like 20, 30 movies, and right now my movie's gonna come. My new, new movie's coming out uh, Friday, which is Argo, Argo: The Iranian Revolution, which 1979, Khomeini took over those hostages, which is a great movie. As a matter of fact, we went to yesterday to see the screening. And uh, I'm, of course, I get typecast. It doesn't bother me. Uh, what I'm do, I'm make sure introduce the. Uh, I'm always hate terrorists. I'm always hate communists. I don't mind if I play those two roles to introduce the people. And I follow my dream. And uh, thanks to Michael Moffat to make my second dream fall, uh, dream come true, which is he helped me out with the book. And I love him like a brother. We both born the same month, May 30th. And I don't know I have a brother from different mother. And I'm an honor to call myself uh, uh, his brother because he's a great guy. Without him, 
no way I can finish this book, or no way I can do it by myself because I'm not educated. But all I did, I recorded everything. I record everything. I give to Michael Moffat and uh, Bill died uh, our publisher, put it together. And I, I love this country. I love the people. I love the I love the... You can be anybody in this country. And uh, my advice to everyone is listening to this radio. If you don't like this country, please leave. That's my advice to you guys. If you love this country, pay respect, follow your dream, never give up. That's my advice to all of us. Thank you. Lieutenant Colonel Moffat, can you explain the name of the book? What was the, the creation of the reason for the name Fahim Speaks? Well, actually, uh, Dr. Julia uh, kind of had the idea, which, I, which Fahim and I both liked. It uh, goes back in Hollywood lore to uh, the 1920s when talking movies first came about. And, of course, Greta Garbo was a, uh, was a legendary beauty, uh, but nobody ever heard her talk. So when... Uh, she finally could talk in the movie, the, the first talking movies or these movie headlines that said Garbo talks or Garbo speaks. And, and to apply that to Fahim, uh, as he said, he was an extra for many years and uh, could not have a speaking role until he finally got his SAG card, his Screen Actors Guild card. So uh, when he got his uh, Screen Actors Guild card, he was telling people, you know, he could finally talk in a movie. So Fahim speaks, Garbo speaks, but, but beyond that, uh, Fahim speaks uh, many languages. English is maybe his sixth best language or something like that. He, he speaks Pashto and Dari and Farsi and Urdu and on and on. So he, the, speak, Fahim speaks, uh, alludes to his role as a linguist. And also, finally, the, the third part of the title, uh, Fahim Speaks, it's just him, uh, it's his narrative. He's telling uh, in the book his uh very, what uh, I saw in Afghanistan Marines, what have they done in Marines? I saw in my own eyes. I want to explain to American people what this beautiful Marine doing in Afghanistan, what this beautiful Marine done in Afghanistan. That's why I want to speak up. I want to tell him that's the first time a civilian is speaking. Usually a poor Marine doing something stupid all over the news. Why they cannot listen to me? I saw it in my own eyes. What have they done for our Afghan people? I'm sorry, cut you off, Kat, uh, Lieutenant. Fahim speaks. There you go. <laughs> By the book, how do Hello? they do that? To get the book, uh, Rick, uh, the best way is uh, Amazon.com, um, which is a way to get so many books. But uh, Fahim Speaks, uh, sometimes there's some question about the spelling. It's F-A-H-I-M, Fahim Speaks uh, at Amazon, and uh, or FahimSpeaks.com is our website. Well, I appreciate both of you giving of your time to be on the show to share your story, Fahim. Uh, I'd like to thank you, uh, Lieutenant Colonel Michael Moffat, for taking the time to document this story. Congratulate you both again for the significant win of being selected as a gold medal winner, gold medal winner for biography from the Military Writers Society of America. Wish you both continued success and have a great day. Thank, thank you, Rick. Sir. Thank you. Okay, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, Two interesting guests and a story that I really wanted to bring to you, our listening audience. It's not your traditional critical mass business interview, but I thought it was one that would uh, resonate with a lot of the members of our listening audience. So I, when I found out about this book and about these two gentlemen, I wanted to have them on our program. We're going to take our second sponsorship break, and when we come back, 
Fred Helms, who's a senior vice president with U.S. Bank, will be our guest. And we're going to be talking about his experience in the banking industry, the current state of the banking industry, and sort of U.S. Bank's focus as it relates to uh, mid-market firms. But first, we're going to spend just a few minutes with our valued sponsors. My company made the switch to Commerce National Bank about six months ago. Our relationship officer was there every step of the way to make the transition as seamless as possible. We had an early hiccup with a deposit scanner, but they dropped everything and drove right to our offices to help. We couldn't feel better about our decision to switch. Instead of calling an 800 number and navigating through automated menus, now I call my Commerce National Bank relationship officer directly for any questions we have. Just knowing that they're so easily accessible and willing to help really puts me at ease. They offer the same technology as the big banks, but deliver it with superior service and training. They're also rated a full five stars by Bauer Financial. So if your organization is a small or medium-sized business in Orange County, you should make the switch too. Call Mary Miller, Senior Vice President, at 949-870-3863 or visit them online at www.commercenatbank.com. That's commercenatbank.com. Give Commerce National a chance to do better than your bank, and they'll handle the rest. It takes 12 years to create a graduate. It takes about the same time to create a dropout. And at the end of the day, the difference between a child becoming one or the other could be you. So United Way is asking you to make a pledge. Tutor a child who needs help. Mentor a kid who needs someone on their side. Volunteer to read to children. Because when a child advances, we all advance. Be a reader, tutor, or mentor. Give, advocate, volunteer. Live United. Take the pledge now at liveunited.org. Brought to you by United Way and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Critical Mass, the radio show. I am your host, Rick Franzi. This show is one in our series of Critical Mass radio shows. On Wednesday, we air a show featuring Orange County nonprofit organizations and their leaders. On Thursdays at 3 p.m., our nationally syndicated show, Coast to Coast, features small and mid-market business leaders from across the country. All shows can be heard live here on Internet radio station, octalkradio.net, or they can be rebroadcast anytime from Apple, iTunes, Stitcher, and other podcasting services. All of our shows can be found also from our website, which is criticalmass4business.com. As I told you before the break, our next guest for the second segment is Fred Helms. Fred is a senior vice president with U.S. Bank. Fred, welcome to Critical Mass, the radio show. Rick, thank you for having me. My pleasure. Let's begin simply by asking you to tell us a little bit about your professional experience, sort of your path to U.S. Bank, Fred. Well, um, out of college, I actually got into commercial banking shortly. It was kind of my first real job, and I spent 22 years in banking, um, both in commercial lending, cash management, even became the treasurer of a bank. Uh, Then in 1998, I left banking became the chief financial officer of a manufacturing company here in Orange County. That went really well. We sold the company. Um, we, we put a few shiny pennies away for ourselves from that. And then I stepped in and became the CFO of a marketing communications company. Um, that was a very difficult time, not as quite as successful. We had to actually take that through a bankruptcy 
And then I re-entered into banking, and I started managing a commercial banking group in Orange County in San Diego and for another bank, which got acquired by U.S. Bank. And now I'm with U.S. Bank managing the commercial banking division here in Orange County. Fred, as I listen to that story, I have to believe that that time away from banking, doing working in industry, has been valuable to you when, as in your return to the banking industry and now in your position at U.S. Bank. Is that true? Oh, my gosh, yes. I learned a lot uh, by being in private industry. I learned to live so, and breathe my company. I never shut down. You know, it's truly 24-7. Especially... You had two interesting runs by your own admission. You know, one a run up and a and a and a, and a uh, ability to cash out, and the other one where you had to take it through a very difficult time. So, in those two experiences, you actually got to see both ends of the spectrum, didn't you? About being in the private industry, uh, most definitely. Uh, in fact, in two and a half years with the cosmetics company, uh, you know, it was really a great success story. But I actually learned a lot more of taking the company uh, through a downsizing and then uh, restructuring and through bankruptcy. That that was that was very difficult times too. Let's talk about U.S. Bank for those that may not be familiar with your bank or may not be uh, clear about what your positioning and differentiation, if you will, in the banking industry is today. Could you share with our audience a bit about U.S. Bank from your perspective? Oh, sure, I'd love to. Uh, we're known as the fifth largest bank in the United States. Um, it's quite a distance to get to number four. They're about six times our size. So we're kind of thought of as a super regional. We are literally today the strongest bank in the United States. We have the best long-term debt rating of any bank in the United States, which is really great position to be in today especially. We are money center bank. We, there isn't anything that we can't do from a service and capacity standpoint. But we have something that really differentiates us, and that is we're very, very relationship-driven. We really like to get to know our clients very well and become a trusted advisor to them. We've been growing quite a bit in California over the last four years. We, were, we went from 16th in California and to today, we're fourth largest bank in California. So we've grown quite a bit. Okay. That, that, that's interesting that the top four banks, because U.S. Bank is a significant organization, and it's in the multiple times it takes to get from your fifth position to fourth position is really quite um, interesting. Has there been – let's talk a little bit about the banking industry as sure. – kind of as a function, you know, we've just gone through the Great Recession, a lot of pressure on a lot of different industries, probably none more than on the banking industry. Can you share with our audience and maybe help us to understand, from your perspective, the current state of your industry? Well, uh, I'd put it in a nutshell, I think it's very strong. And a lot of the uh, progress we've made um, has been because of the mistakes of the past. And I could really like to take you back to 1999, there was a dramatic change in banking that occurred, and that was the repeal of the Glass-Steagall Act, and that was supported by Bill Clinton and Alan Greenspan in Congress, and that really changed the landscape of way banking was uh, managed and regulated. The Glass-Steagall Act prohibited 
uh, lending and equity investments to occur through the same firm and the sale of investments as well into the public marketplace. When that got repealed, um, that really changed the landscape, and that kind of precipitated the ability for people to originate mortgages, to collateralize the mortgages, and then sell them as a as a um, investment. And today, we've kind of cured that problem through the Dodd Frank. And Dodd Frank has many facets to it, but one of them, it does bring back uh, more regulation. Believe it or not, better regulation, and we're better able to protect the consumer today than we were like four or five years ago. So if I would say the state of the industry is good, it's strong, banks are better capitalized, the expectations in the capital structure and liquidity have been raised, and there's consistent oversight in our lending practices, and so banks are more consistent, albeit though they are a little less risky in their in their lending practices. Interesting that you mentioned um, Glass-Steagall because that's sort of a history lesson in some ways. People don't appreciate how long Glass-Steagall was around and sort of how it got started out of the Great Depression, etc. And um, the, the fundamental relationship, if you will, between government regulation and laws and industries, and your industry is a very heavily regulated and controlled, if you will, from a national perspective. Also interesting to hear you say in a positive way that Dodd-Frank is a, is a good thing. Did I hear that correctly? Believe it or not, there are aspects of it that are, that are a positive. And, and I think you'd even um, would hear our chairman of the board, Richard Davis, say that we need to have some regulation to help protect the consumer. Yes, that is necessary. So, and that is a result of, a partial result of the Dodd-Frank Act. Now we can't. I can't go by uh, you mentioning uh, Richard Davis without saying a Cal State Fullerton alum. Correct. That's correct. Yes. So there you have it. A significant, the fifth largest bank in the United States, led by a Cal State Fullerton graduate. How fantastic is that? That that is exciting. He's a great leader and highly charismatic, and uh, just love having him as, as a leader. Let's talk about a challenge facing either your business directly or the industry in general. If you could explain the challenge and maybe um, what's being done by you and others to mitigate that challenge from affecting the kind of positive results of the bank, I would appreciate it, please. Sure. Uh, And we are in a unique environment today, economic environment. We're trying to grow market share in a declining market. Now, let me explain what that means. Demand for senior debt in the commercial banking and corporate banking markets is declining. Companies are deleveraging themselves. They're using their cash flow and their liquidity to pay down debt. At the same time, banks are strong, which means supply is strong. And interest rates are lower, and therefore the cost of capital is lower. So, you know, for all you economists out there, you know, when demand is lower and supply is higher, you know, what happens? Pricing goes down, and that's what we're seeing right now. It's a very, very unique set of circumstances. 
are your industry is in um, it, it's great to have inexpensive money and federal policy to help uh, keep money uh, and borrowing at a at a very low rate and and a lot of corporations and companies are using that to deleverage or refinance and get their their debt down but what that also means is that puts pressure I would think on your income statement on your ability to get a return on on the kind of investment and tools that you offer, especially in the in the debt servicing market. So where is the bank going to grow and also return to the shareholders, a, a, you know, a rate of return that they've historically come to expect from the banking industry? Yeah, that, and that's a very good question. Uh, what we're what we're doing, we are growing. U.S. Bank actually is one of the few banks in the United States historically over the last couple of years that's actually grown its assets. And we've had asset growth that's helped fuel our earnings growth. Um, we also have a very low cost of capital, so we're able to effectively and efficiently lend money out there. Also, U.S. Bank, we provide a lot of services. We're extremely good in all kinds of electronic payment mechanisms. And that generates a lot of fee income for us. Uh, we have dozens of other services as well. So the service income, along with the, the spread income off of our loan portfolio, gives us uh, a great deal of strength. And actually, U.S. Bank has hit consistently uh, record levels of profitability and revenue over the last several quarters. And our stock is trading uh, at a basically a two-year high. It's reflecting that that earnings growth. That is a well-run institution, ladies and gentlemen, and thank you for that answer. That was great, Fred. We're going to take our third and final sponsorship break, and when we come back, I'm going to ask you to share with us a valuable business lesson you learned in your career that came from what at the time maybe felt like a difficult or challenging experience. So, Fred, ladies and gentlemen, stay tuned. We'll be back in just a few minutes, but first, here are some words from our sponsors. Smart Business Network is a business-to-business multimedia company providing insight, advice, and strategy for C-level executives of fast growth, middle market, and large companies. As one of the nation's largest publishers of local management journals, under the Smart Business name, Smart Business Network publishes 19 regional print editions, presents dozens of large and small-scale business conferences and award programs, and produces a vibrant interactive digital media presence. For more information, visit us at www.sbnonline.com. This is the sound of a flat-screen television hurled off a building. Now the new bike your kid wants. These are the things you could have all cast into oblivion. Because when you throw away money on wasted electricity, you throw away everything you could have bought with it. Use Energy Star light bulbs and appliances, and you could save hundreds of dollars a year. Saving energy saves you money. Learn more at energysavers.gov. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Energy and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Critical Mass, the radio show. I am your host, Rick Franzi. Our guest today is... Fred Helm, Senior Vice President with U.S. Bank. Now, I would be remiss if I didn't let you know, Fred, and our entire listening audience, that you are the 600th guest that we've had on Critical Mass Radio shows in the 
almost four years that we've been on the air. So congratulations for being that milestone guest, Fred. Wow, thank you very much. Do I win a million (laughs) dollars? You always have the knowledge that you were our 600th guest, and that's worth, I think it's priceless, frankly. That is priceless, yes. All right. So so can you think of a time you learned a valuable lesson that came from a difficult experience, Fred? Uh, There are many valuable lessons I think I've learned, and I think uh, the scars on my back prove it. But uh, one thing in particular really resonates with me, and that's the concept of customer concentrations. And uh, with that marketing communications company that I was the chief financial officer for, um, we had an incident that uh, really affected, dramatically affected our company. Usually when we, Rick, we look at customer concentrations, we worry about their ability to repay us. So we look at their credit worthiness and maybe even their debt ratings and if they're publicly traded, what their earnings performance is. We look at their ability to pay us back. One thing we we kind of don't concern ourselves with is what happens if they go away? What if they cancel their contracts? And are we prepared to react to that? And do we have a plan B ready in case they do? And how do we alleviate that risk? You know, how do we seek to diversify ourselves, diversify our revenue stream, and protect ourselves in case there is a a loss of of a significant client like that. In the marketing communications company, we lost a client that was a large publicly traded corporation that was almost a third of our business. And And we lost that business not because of anything we did. The quality of our service was excellent. It was that company was under earnings pressure from the street, and they had to cancel all unnecessary, quote, expenses, and we got, we were part of that. And it, and it hurt us dramatically. Sometimes those lessons are in the past for the guest, but it feels like when they talk about it, it could have just happened yesterday. I'd love to ask guests this question when it's appropriate because I believe you can learn a lot vicariously through the ex- experiences of other executives. And over-concentration in a client or an industry, it's the kind of thing that you don't realize it maybe sometimes at the time, but if it ever happens to you and it's a detriment, it's the kind of thing that you are always on the watch out for, isn't it? I'm sure in your consulting and working with the clients that you have, that's an area that you're looking at as well as one of their trusted advisors. Most definitely, yeah. One of the things we try to focus on is, and you're never going to turn a client away. You don't want to turn their business away. You want to capture as much of it. But then you need to try to offset it by diversifying yourself and get other forms of revenue stream in there, too, to balance it out. Mm -hmm. That's a danger for a small company that gets a contract with a large company, whether it's a Lowe's or a Home Depot or a Walmart or Target. You know, I'm just throwing out large names of, of companies that could really disproportionately affect a mid-sized company's uh, customer portfolio by landing, quote-unquote, a whale. The the challenge there is how much of your total um, revenue they may represent and how dependent you become on them for your profitability and growth. Right. And one of the, the tricks to mitigate your risk on that is to try to keep as much as your costs related to operating to be variable costs. So you can downsize and scale down 
if necessary, and very quickly. Try not to incur a lot of fixed costs, a lot of fixed overhead. Yeah, and the, the biggest challenge there is, especially if you're a manufacturing company, the people part of it. How do you keep that element of, as variable as is reasonable or appropriate for your business as well? Yes, most definitely. All right, let's look to the future. Let's talk about growth. It ha- uh, based on an- your answers to the earlier questions, U.S. Bank is on a nice upslope. What do you see from your perspective in your role with U.S. Bank as the future opportunities for growth for your firm in your industry? Well, I can't give all our secrets away, but <laughs> um, yeah, because we are, as I said earlier, um, we're, we're in a shrinking market, a declining market with increased competition. But our strategy fundamentally is we're growing by adding value to our clients' relationship, by getting closer to our clients, becoming their trusted advisor, being a resource for them, not just for the capital, but in, in terms of market intelligence and experience and knowledge and creating creative solutions. And being their advocate, being a client advocate, is a hallmark within all of U.S. Bank. In uncertain times, uh, you know, I'm trying to determine if we have more uncertainty on the business front than in years and decades past, Fred, or if, in, in fact, it's sort of a fabrication of media, we have more media now, and whatever. But from your position as a trusted advisor of mid-market companies, do, do you sense there's more uncertainty for your clients than in past decades or years? Or is it sort of always uncertain times for business leaders in, in a competitive economy? Well, that's a really good question, especially today. Um, with an election less than a month away, um, I think there is a fair amount of uncertainty in the market and we're seeing companies and executives in the company not willing to to bet the farm yet and they want to see what kind of direction the economy is going to take and what kind of leadership we're going to have to take us there and um, so companies are being pretty quick and nimble and are going to be ready to react but right now we're seeing a lot of decisions kind of tabled for the very very short term I also think, Fred, that in my experience working with the clients that I work with, the lessons that they learned from the Great Recession and the painful decisions that they had to make about, especially around people, um, is really tempering their tempering their enthusiasm for adding people right now just because they they worry that what they had to go through before they really would not want to have to go through again if there was a you know, a downturn or something that happened in Europe or something that caused their business to take a hit. That, that I think that's almost a governor on their own appetite, regardless of the uncertainty external, which I agree we are in somewhat uncertain times here with the election, et cetera. But I also think it's somewhat internal, organic as well. Do, do you agree with that? Uh, yes, definitely. In fact, um, I was just talking to uh, the chairman of, of a very large technology company, and what they've experienced, because they've experienced some pretty good growth over the last two-plus years. And I asked them what was driving it, and it it was what I thought it would be, is 
companies are willing to invest in infrastructure to make them more efficient, they are motivated to do more work with less people, do more with less. And the best way to do that is leverage themselves through having the, the best and the state-of-the-art technology. And I, we've literally been seeing that. I, I agree. And um, I want to thank you for being on the program. If someone would like to learn more about U.S. Bank, how do they find you online? Well, very simple. Um, my email address is fred.helms at usbank.com, Helms, H-E-L-M-S. And um, I would welcome anybody to uh, shoot me a question or want to talk to me. They're welcome to send me an email, and I'd be happy to return it. Thanks for being a guest on Critical. Thanks for being the 600th guest on Critical Mass Radio Show, um, a friend of the program, a part of our community. It's it's great to have your perspective here on the radio program this afternoon, and I thank you for giving us your time, Fred. Rick, thank you very much for having me, and thank you for providing such a tremendous forum for us to talk about business issues that are important to us today. You're welcome. Ladies and gentlemen, for the live listening audience, you want to stay tuned because our next show on branding, Branding Biz, has an interview with the founder of Vizio TV, William Wang. So take a break, do what you have to do, but be back here listening to OC Talk Radio at the top of the hour for Branding Biz. And again, this is Rick Franzi, host of Critical Mass, the radio show, saying thank you for taking time to be a part of our program. If you know of radio show guest material, people that you think would be an interesting uh, interview for me here on the radio program, please find us at www.criticalmassforbusiness.com. You can see our contact page there and send me an email or give me a phone call. I'm always looking for great guests like we had today here on the radio program. So until the next time we have a chance to chat, here's hoping that all of your decisions move your business in a positive direction. You've been listening to Critical Mass, the radio show, right here on OC Talk Radio dot net